The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Brought panic to their minds The evil of that hour Was stronger than the sun That beat on them With nowhere left to run The chariots of Egypt Drew nearer as they cried Yet Moses stood there calmly With a fearless faith inside He said there is a power Far greater than the sword Stand still and you will witness A mighty salvation from our Lord And then the Red Sea parted For now there was a
That's our victory song. Then the Red Sea parted. The money is now in place to pay for the month of November for Pilgrim's Progress. Thank you. Thank each one of you. Some of you gave online last night $20, $50. It was done. Two people gave over $1,000 this month. I praise God. You know, when we went off air yesterday, we were over $1,000 short. One person covered over $1,000 of that. I'm just... Thank you. Thank you for believing in the work of the gospel and being willing to sacrifice for it, being willing to lay your life down and give generously. And now we're going to begin with the month of December. And I'd ask you now, what Christmas gift, what gift for Jesus would you bring? This is a time when everyone's buying gifts for everybody. But if it's Jesus' birthday that you're really celebrating and not the pagan holiday of Christmas, what gift would you bring to Jesus this year to cover the month of December? Please pray. Please ask Jesus what he would have you give. I know he'll tell you, and I know you'll obey for every month you have and you do. Thank you. Now, I want to come right back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, in Matthew 5, I'll begin with verse 17. Do not begin to think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I came not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until the heaven and the earth may pass away, one iota or one stroke may by no means pass away from the law until all things may come to pass. Consequently, if any person may break one of these least commandments and may teach men, he will be called least by the kingdom of heaven. But whoever may do and may teach them, this man will be called great by the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that unless your righteousness may exceed beyond that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you may by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He is outlining the fundamental character of his kingdom. And he uses this word, dikasune, righteousness. What does the word mean? It means innocent. It means to be put right. It means to be complete, that the work is finished in your heart. Now, it's very clear that the scribes and the Pharisees have one source of righteousness. And Jesus is telling them that that source of righteousness has failed them. Or that they have failed that flowing source of righteousness. Well, what are the two sources 
of righteousness. And there are only two sources of righteousness. Let me read for you what Paul says in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, in chapter 3, verse 21, we find two sources of righteousness. Verse 21, Now at the present time, apart from law, righteousness out from God has been made known, being confirmed by the law and the prophets. Indeed, righteousness is out from God through faith by means of Jesus Christ to all and upon all the ones believing. Okay, here are the two sources. Did you catch them? Number one, the law is a source of righteousness. But because of our sin, the law condemned us. The law that was used by the scribes and the Pharisees was unable to bring real righteousness into their lives. Oh, they could conform outwardly to the demands of the law, but they could not change the inner part of their heart. Now, the second source of righteousness, apart from the law, this is not by Aaron or by the Ten Commandments. This is not by the flowing out of Old Covenant. This is a new source of righteousness that we call the New Covenant. This new source, this new river of righteousness is flowing out of God, our Father. Now, it was spoken about in the Law and the Prophets, but this righteousness does not come by the Law and the Prophets. It is out from God by means of faith in Jesus Christ to everyone who believes on him. So, we have two sources of righteousness. One, the Ten Commandment Law. And I love the law. The first four commandments are about our relationship to our Father. The last six commandments deal with our relationship with each other. My favorite commandment of all of the commandments is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do thy work, but in the seventh is a Sabbath unto the Lord thy God. And the commandment goes on and instructs that we're to cease from our labors. We're to no longer pursue our labors. We're to rest. Well, that fourth commandment, is spoken of in Hebrews, the fourth chapter. We're not going to go there today, but but please just hear my heart. That fourth commandment is the most precious. It's buried right in the center of the Decalogue. That fourth commandment is outlining for us, according to Hebrews 4, what would happen 
when Jesus died on Calvary, that another flowing source of righteousness would be made available to us, and not to tear down the law, but to establish the law, we were invited to cease from our own labors. I have a precious brother who is a Seventh-day Adventist. We're going to have at some point a discussion about the Seventh-day Sabbath. And he's asked me, why don't you worship, why don't you rest on the Sabbath day? Well, my answer to him is, I do keep the Sabbath day. Except now, I keep the Sabbath day seven days a week. Because I rest in Jesus. I have ceased from my own labors. Whatever I do, I do for the glory of Jesus Christ and at the call of his Holy Spirit. I'm not in the world as they were to work six days a week at what I want to do. I now worship seven days a week before the throne of God. That one day has now turned into one week. And every week is a Sabbath for me before the holiness of God. So, yes, I love the law, and Jesus very frankly said that he did not come to tear down the law. He came to build up the law. He came to fulfill the law. But by the law is no righteousness for us, because what that law does is simply condemn us. Now, let me read for you in the third chapter of the book of Romans. And I'm reading from the Lavender translation. It's a literal translation. It's a little rough in translation because it goes literally word for word. Let me read for you in Romans, the third chapter. I'll begin with verse 9. What then? Do we have an advantage for ourselves? Not in every respect, for we've already pointed out that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin, just as it stands written. There is not a righteous man, not even one. There's no one understanding. There is no one seeking God. Every conceivable man turned away. Together they became morally depraved. There's no one doing what is right. There's not so much as one. Their throat is like a grave, having been opened. They were working deceit with their tongue. Venom of deadly vipers is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitter trouble. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Devastation and misery are in their ways. And a way of peace they know not. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the description of every pagan man. Every pagan man is described. In fact, all men before salvation 
are described in this manner. But does this accurately describe the condition of all men? And the answer is no, it does not. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Why doesn't it? Well, there's a hidden passage of Scripture that's very precious to me. Genesis, the third chapter, verse 15. And this is where the snake is being rebuked in the Garden of Eden. Now, I don't know what happened to that serpent. I believe that serpent stood upright and walked on its feet as a biped. It was extremely beautiful and very cunning. And that serpent, possessed by the devil, came to Eve to tempt her. And it was a very successful temptation. Adam and Eve joined with Satan in total rebellion against the groom against God. God would come and walk with them in the cool of the day. He would talk with them. He would fellowship with them every day. The problem was he could only walk on the outside with them. They had not yet opened their heart to allow him to come in. We'll come back to that in a moment. But first, what happened in that garden? I... You know, this is a sidetrack, but I wonder, and I'm eager to be in heaven to ask about this question. I suspect that when God began to curse this serpent, saying, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, you're going to crawl on your belly. I wonder if suddenly that biped did not suddenly begin to go through an entire body transformation. Science tells us that there are small legs on snakes. You can't see them, but there are evidence that snakes one time had legs or arms and hands. I wonder if suddenly that snake began to just transform in front of Adam and Eve. And suddenly the neck grew very long and the head became very evil. And suddenly it had to drop to the ground and the tail elongated. And suddenly this snake, hated by man, killed, driven out, was on the ground hissing, having lost its ability to speak. I don't know what happened. I just know that in that incident, God said to this serpent, and I will put enmity, that is, I will put hatred between you and the woman. You and Mother Eve. You and the church. In other words, there's going to be a small window of opportunity afforded. A hatred of the serpent is going to be given to every human person. It says, in between your seed and her seed, that is the woman's seed, that is Eve's seed, that is human beings, that is the church. He shall bruise your head, 
That is, he will crush your head. He will strike your head. And you shall strike or bruise his heel. On the cross, this first promise of salvation was fulfilled. The serpent struck. Jesus could no longer walk. He was in the grave. But oh, glory to God, he came out of that grave. He had the victory. And Satan's head is going to be struck and crushed. He's going to be cast into the the fires of hell. Hell was never prepared for anyone in the human race. It was intended for the demonic angels. It was intended for Satan, for those who were not in any manner deceived, but chose willfully, knowing who God was, they chose willfully against him. So there is no salvation for them. This glorious promise... that there would be a little distance. Now we come back to that Romans passage. This is the description of the pagans. There's no, not a righteous man, not even one. There's no one understanding. There's no one seeking God. Well, guess what? Because of that promise, this description of man is not totally true because the Holy Spirit comes to take advantage of that hatred that God put between the children of Eve, the children of the church, and the serpent. So some of you today, you're walking in wickedness. You're fornicating. You're having an affair. You're committing adultery. You're doing all manner of unclean things. You're lying. You're stealing. You're bitter. You're angry. You're hostile. You're in depression and discouragement. No matter what it is, the Holy Spirit is still calling after you. I've talked with drug dealers who now are wonderful Christians, and they've been driving in their car, and they have a load of drugs in their car to go sell. And as they're driving, suddenly a police car pulls up behind them as they're driving down the road. And they cry out to God and say, Oh God, if you'll save me from this policeman, I'll serve you. And the policeman turns off. And they breathe a sigh of relief and forget all about their promise. That may happen four or five times. But at some point, it begins to register in their heart that God is doing something to save them. He is calling after them. The Holy Spirit is calling after all men and women and boys and girls. He's calling after them. And he's trying to give them a portion of this new righteousness that is flowing. Now, it was not 
It was not Paul's purpose in writing these things to in any manner destroy the law. No, instead, listen to this, verse 31, this is Romans three thirty-one. So do we set aside law because of the faith? In other words, do we set aside the law because we have faith in Jesus and he shed his blood for us? Paul says, certainly not. On the contrary, we establish moral law. We establish the law. That's the same thing Jesus said back here that I just shared with you out of Matthew. I'll go back there quickly and read it for you again. Do not begin to think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I came not to abolish, but to fulfill. So, if you've tried to earn righteousness by what you've attempted to do, you've learned very quickly, as I have, that I could not perform the adequate righteousness, innocence, I was always going astray, getting angry, getting bitter, lying, cheating, doing something. And the Holy Spirit kept calling me to himself, to Jesus. He was saying, there's a better way. It's by faith. And I have to tell you, honestly, I struggled over this issue for so long. I couldn't comprehend. How do I put this? I could not seem to comprehend that there was the way of the law struggling and trying to be innocent before God, trying to gain some position of peace in my heart before God. Or there was another avenue of righteousness, and the reason I couldn't think this through was because I listened to teachers at the seminary pastors, and they told me that I could never stop sinning, that I was always going to be a bad person, but that it didn't matter because Jesus covered me with his righteousness so that when God looked at me, he didn't see me. He just saw Jesus. And that was such a terrible thing to me. Now, that may comfort your heart, but it didn't comfort my heart. It caused me great sorrow. I couldn't understand. How can a man be made righteous? How can a man or woman be made holy? How can a man or woman actually be made holy? Now, if you say you're going to be unholy until you die, then death becomes my savior. I didn't want death to be my savior. I wanted to live clean now. But the only avenue I knew for living clean now was to accept what Jesus did for me on the cross and then go through all kinds of seminars and workshops and strategies to try to improve my life so that I could be at least somewhat at peace in my heart. It was never successful. I was never able to pull it off. It seemed to me that what was being taught to me was simply another kind of legalism. 
Calvinism to me is just legalism. The Reformed theology is just legalism. It's you're saved. You're saved. You're not saved from your sin, though. I don't know what you're supposed to be saved from. All I know is that when Bunyan writes about Pilgrim's Progress, he writes about this man walking with a great burden on his back. And when he goes to the cross, he enters that narrow gate and he gets to the cross and the burden of sin rolls away. Guess what? The burden of sin doesn't come back because he's now walking clean before God. I couldn't seem to understand that. And then I... And to look. Let me read this for you. I began to look at this Romans, the fourth chapter, the sixth chapter. I began to look at this. Let me read some of this to you. As many as were baptized into Christ Jesus. You were baptized into his death. Well, I always understood that baptized into his death to mean a water baptism. I've come to understand that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You were baptized into Christ Jesus. You were baptized into his death. Only the Holy Spirit can take you into the death of Jesus. We were buried together with him by means of the baptism into the death that just as Christ was raised from among the dead by the glory of the Father, so also we may walk around in newness of life. And my heart leapt with joy. I can walk around in the newness of life. Jesus is willing to make me righteous, to make me innocent, not just to wipe away my past sins, but right now to make me innocent, to make me a godly man, to make me to make me into a new creature, a new person. For if we become united in the similarity of his death, then we shall also be united in the similarity of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of the sin may be destroyed not subjected to being held down, destroyed. That's, that's the Greek word, is actually to destroy. The old man is destroyed. The old man of sin is destroyed in your life. Now, I want you to hear this wonderful news because it has brought such life and such joy into my heart. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and he has brought such joy into my heart. He's released me from all condemnation. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me read the exact words. I want you to hear this. 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation to the ones in Christ Jesus, not walking around according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You have to be baptized into the Spirit, by the Spirit, into Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, question? Have you been set free from the law of sin and death? If you have not been, and yet you are in every part of your heart desiring to be a Christian, then ask that you could be crucified with Christ and that you could be baptized into his death and resurrection. Now, a very simple question. A very simple question. Do you want Jesus? And do you really want the new life he's offering you? Or do you want the cultural Jesus, the sinning Christian Jesus, the sentimental Jesus, the Jesus of our day, the Jesus of American culture? Or are you willing to accept what the word of God says at its face value without interpreting it simply face value will you accept the word of the living God you need to answer I'm going to read for you the word of God where Paul puts this together in a very simple way. It's found in Galatians, the fifth chapter. I'm going to begin reading in Galatians 5, verse 16. Please listen carefully and remember the question I ask you. Are you willing to take at face value not what I say, not what your preacher says, not what your culture says. Are you willing to accept at simple face value the literal words of Scripture without twisting their meaning? Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 16. Now I say you must walk in the Spirit and you absolutely cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh that is the fallen nature. Now the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. In other words, there will be a battle over this. Remember, I've said to you many times, you don't have to do anything to go to hell. You're already set and ready, and the skids are greased, and you are on your way to hell if you have not allowed Jesus Christ to baptize you in his spirit, into his death, into his resurrection. 
the flesh, lusts against the spirit, that is the human nature driven by the demonic, wants to run its own life. The Spirit wants to save you. The Spirit of God, through Jesus Christ, loves you. Indeed, these things oppose each other. Wickedness, righteousness, darkness, and light. They oppose each other so that you may not do these things that you may desire. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Why? Because you have a flowing source of righteousness through the cross of Jesus Christ, a way to be made right with the Father, a way to be made righteous, to have the old nature crucified and destroyed in you, that you can walk in the newness of life. There is no power of sin that is not broken by the blood of Jesus Christ if a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, will simply repent. Confession, repentance, restitution now Jesus I believe in you I believe in your word I'm not going to continue in adultery or fornication or uncleanness or indecency or idolatry or witchcraft that includes the tarot cards that includes all forms of the occult the crystals, the candles. I'm not going to involve myself in witchcraft. All witchcraft is by definition in Scripture unclean. Everything about Satan is unclean. I'm not going to engage in hatred, discord, Jealousies, outbursts of rage, strife, dissensions, false teachings, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, party time. I'm not going to do it. Instead, I'm going to have the fruit of the Spirit grow in my life and produce a great harvest of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faith and gentleness, self-control. In fact, the ones who are of Christ crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, we should also walk in the Spirit. The two sources of righteousness. Two sources of righteousness. It's a glorious truth. I want to read another passage. 
see if I can find it for you quickly. Yes, Hebrews, the seventh chapter. I'll begin with verse 24. Listen to this. This is so exciting. He has an unchangeable priesthood. That is Jesus. For which reason he is also able to save completely the ones coming to God through him. He's ever living to intercede on their behalf. Now, this word completely, I want to talk about it for just a minute. Luke uses this same phrase of being healed completely. Remember the story of the woman having been with a spirit of infirmity for 18 years, bent over, not able to stand up completely? She was released by Jesus. She was made straight. She was healed. She was able to stand up completely. This is the same word that's being used here. It is complete salvation. It is complete healing. Whether we're healed of a disease like this woman was, or we are healed of sin, the work is complete. God has exalted Jesus to the great high priest and Savior of man. He is now able to take away completely all sin in my life. He is able to save completely his people. That's what it says in Hebrews seven, twenty-five. For which reason he is also able to save completely. Now, part of what I want you to look at In Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Talking about the sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament. He says in verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So, in the Old Covenant, They would offer blood sacrifices, bulls, goats, lambs. But that blood could not remove aphemy. It could not remove their sin. It was still there on the record. Now, God could overlook that sin in the Old Covenant, but the blood of bulls and goats was inadequate to take it away. They were still, in truth, they were guilty. Their sin could not be removed. I would not want to say today that the blood of Jesus is like the blood of a bull or a goat. I would not want to equate the blood of Jesus with the blood of bulls and goats and say the blood of Jesus cannot remove my sin. I want to tell you, the glorious truth is that the blood of Jesus Christ is not the blood of a bull or a goat. It is the blood of our Savior, and that blood removes from us our sin completely. 
destroys sin in our life. Now, there's another, there's another passage. Let me read verse, verse 9 and 10. This is Hebrews, the 10th chapter, 9 and 10. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. That is, he takes away the blood of bulls and goats, and he establishes the second, which is the blood of Jesus, by which we have been made holy by means of the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now every priest has stood day by day ministering and offering the same sacrifices often that can never take away sins. But he himself, after having offered one sacrifice in behalf of sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Finally, waiting until his enemies may be put on a on a footstool under his feet, for by one offering... He, that is Jesus, has perfected forever the ones being made holy. Righteousness leads to holiness. Now I tell you, this is glorious news. Verse 19. Having therefore, brother, in confidence for the entrance into the holy, the holies, that is, that holy compartment of the heavenly sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way which he opened for us through the curtain, that is, his flesh, and having a great priest over the house of God, may we draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts having been sprinkled from an evil conscience, and the body having been washed with pure water. This is not make-believe stuff. This is the real deal. Please, if you're still struggling in your heart because you've come to Jesus, but you know you're still unrighteous, you know you're not free, you know you're still yelling at your wife or your husband or your kids, you're still selfish and bitter and grabbing. You have to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. You've got to enter into that death of Christ and be washed with the pure water. May we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for the one having promised is faithful. Well, what's he mean? What do we hold fast? The confession of our hope without wavering. We hold fast to the notion, to the belief, to the theology, to the truth that says the blood of Jesus is not like the blood of bulls and goats. It washes us. It makes us truly clean. There are two flowing sources of righteousness. The law condemns us. It leads us to a Savior. It leads us to Jesus. But if we don't make that transition into Jesus, we can be very religious. But we're like the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus said their righteousness was not adequate 
to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We need another source of righteousness. And what I did, through ignorance, through false teachings, I believed the lie that I could never be made righteous and that Jesus would always look at me and see my sin because his blood was like the blood of bulls and goats. It couldn't wash and make me clean. So I'd just do the best I could do, and he'd have to do the rest. That's all lies. I can walk clean today by the blood of Jesus. I've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. I've been brought into his presence. I'm a new man today. The glory of Jesus is in my face. Oh, I praise Jesus for his work of grace and mercy in my heart. I'm not going to walk in darkness anymore. I'm walking in the light. I'm testifying to you that you can be free in the wonderful, glorious power of the blood of Jesus Christ, not make-believe. He will make you righteous. Not when you die. He'll set you free now. He'll break every bondage of sin in your heart now. Is that attractive to you? It's what the scriptures teach. May we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for the one having promised is faithful. And may we consider one another to encourage love and good works. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith in Jesus. And that faith in Jesus makes us righteous. It is God's work to make us righteous. It's our work to cooperate with him and allow him to do the glorious work of cleansing and purifying and changing and breaking the power of sin over our life. He's willing to do that. He wants to do that. He died to do that. Will you let him do that in your life? Now we're going to continue the Sermon on the Mount tomorrow. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Please, you can listen to this broadcast again by subscribing to our video page. And that way you won't miss any as they come. Just clip, click on the subscribe as you go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. And click on the subscribe button. I'd also love to hear from you. I'd love to hear testimonies of what Jesus is doing in your heart. You can write to me. The National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Lord, I pray for every person who has listened to this word. I pray, Lord, that the glory of your mighty... Saving power will come upon every person listening. 
Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and do the work of salvation that Jesus died for. Minister to our hearts the blood of Jesus. Lord, I trust you. My eyes are upon you. Thank you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Again, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. And I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you today. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory with great joy.